You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. All right, so um, you may have heard this by now, but last Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. Uh, sorry if you still had that T-vote. Um, but my, my family and I, we were rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, not because we have any connection to Kansas City, but because Pat Mahomes played for my alma mater, Texas Tech University. All right, go fight win. Um, that's right. And Texas Tech isn't known for really being a football powerhouse, right? Not really. We're probably a few years away from a national championship. Um, we're having a few rebuilding years. Um, so until then, I'll just have to settle for greatness by association and just keep rooting for Pat Mahomes and the Chief. Um, because we're all wired for greatness, right? We want to watch greatness. We want to be associated with greatness. And we really want greatness for ourselves. But most of us don't have the athletic talent or the artistic gift or the intellect to really be great on the world stage. So mostly we settle for normal and average and anonymous. And you know, this week, we're wrapping up our series, The Greatest, and what we've been asking is, maybe we've got our definition of greatness upside down. So as much as we're drawn to success and wealth and fame as measures of greatness, what if that's not real, true greatness? And we've been exploring what Jesus means when he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's kind of been our theme passage for this series. But Jesus makes several statements like this, right? He also says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So he consistently makes this point that service is it's really counterintuitive, right? So it, it feels in the moment like sacrifice, and it can feel like this detour away from our desires, and it can really feel unseen and thankless. But that's not at all how Jesus sees it, right? In, in the eyes of Jesus, if we calibrate our lives to live like he did, not to be served, but to serve, there's this promise of a reward. There's this offer of, of greatness in the eyes of God that nothing else in the world can compare to. And that reward is what we're focused on this morning. <clears throat> and to do that, we're gonna look at one of Jesus's most famous parables, the parable of the talents. And before we get into it, just know that a talent, uh, that was a unit of measuring weight in the ancient world, especially gold. So when you hear talent of gold, that's something like 75 pounds of gold, okay? So in this story, you're gonna hear about talents. That's not like a gold ingot you could just stash into a bag somewhere, okay? This is, these talents are massive accumulations of wealth, and Jesus's original audience would have understood that. So let's jump into it in Matthew 25, starting at 14. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. 
And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Okay, that was a lot. Um, But we're mostly going to focus on verse 21, which is what the master says to the servant with the five talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I I really hope to hear that from the Lord someday. So I want to know, what is it that makes this servant so good and faithful? Is it because he's a hard worker? Because he's this shrewd investor who brings in this massive 100% return for his master? I don't think so, because if you, you, know, you look at the context of this, there's a lot more going on here than just a parable about work ethic. Jesus is telling this disciple, telling this parable to his disciples, okay, his closest followers, and he's telling it three days before his death on the cross. And it's not just this parable. He tells two other parables that share this same theme. Three stories back to back, and in each one you've got this leader and you've got a group of followers, and in each one the leader leaves and the followers don't know when or if he's coming back. All three stories in a row about that same thing. So what are the followers supposed to do? How are they supposed to live while their leader is absent and they're not sure he's coming back? And so you see the point that Jesus is making, right? It's not subtle. It's how are we supposed to live when it feels like God is absent, when it feels like he's not coming back, when it feels like he's not really invested. So Jesus tells us this story to uh, we'll understand, yeah, there are going to be times when God feels distant. Um, and because of that, we're going to be tempted into complacency, to doing what the one talent servant did, just take what God gave us, bury it, and go off on our own way in search of new masters. But what makes the five-talent servant good and faithful isn't so much that he was a hard worker or that he was successful. I think the question is, what sustained his work? Because he probably had to work years for that kind of return. So what sustained him through years of serving a master he couldn't see? What makes him good and faithful is really his conviction. When I say conviction, I mean being so convinced of something, to believe in it so deeply that you you feel it in your gut, you know? So much so that it instinctively motivates you and drives your decision-making without really even thinking about it because it's just such a core, deep belief. And one year, my wife, Laura, and I, we were driving back to Texas to see my family, 
And Laura had never seen the Grand Canyon before because she was from North Carolina. And so since we were taking I-40 through Northern Arizona, you know, we decided to pop up and see it on the way. And the day we went, the wind was insane. Okay, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon in gale force winds. It is, it's horrifying, okay? You just think you're gonna die the entire time you're there. In fact, I actually took this picture because I really wanted it. I, I just, like, I'm going to die taking this picture. It'll be the last one I ever take. And in my day-to-day life, I don't really give that much thought to gravity, okay? I, I work from home. There's three steps between my door and my office, so I don't really think about gravity. But today, this day, I was convicted about the power of gravity because suddenly every step mattered, Right? I was thinking about it every step I took because I thought I might blow over the edge. So what was the five-talent servant that convicted of, that it sustained him through years of service? Well, first, he was convinced of the master's return. He lived his life in anticipation that one day his master would return and that when he did, he'd be asked to give an account for what he'd done with the resources his master had given him. So if you want to emulate this servant uh, to aim the trajectory of your life so that you might hear, well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord someday, the thing to focus on is not the investment strategy, right? It's not, how do I take my five talents and make it 10? The focus is, am I living my life with the conviction that Jesus is alive? With the conviction that I'll see him face to face someday? With the conviction that it matters Right, that, that goodness matters, that faithfulness matters, that obedience matters. I mean, isn't that the lie we all so easily believe that none of this matters? Right, that if God really cared, he'd be doing more, helping more, making things more clear in some way, but he's not. So it must not matter. So I am tempted to do what the one talent servant did. Just take my assignment, bury it in the ground, and go off on my own way. And to that, Jesus would say, I know it's going to be hard to keep trusting me when you can't see me, but don't give up. I'm alive. I'm with you. And this is where the analogy in the story starts to break down, because unlike the master in the story, Jesus isn't gone, right? He's always initiating. He's always inviting, always equipping you to do everything he's put in front of you. I mean, he's given you his word to speak to you. He's given you a church to walk alongside of you. He's given you his spirit to live inside of you and guide you so that you can keep going even when he feels distant. And this is how Jesus calls us to serve. Like every day matters because Jesus is alive. And what I often pray for myself and my own you know, time with God is that I wouldn't just believe that intellectually. Like, oh, this is just another... Bible fact in my head, but that that God would convict me of it so that I would feel it in my gut so much so that it would actually instinctively drive my decision-making and sustain me. And the second thing the servant is convicted of is the master's authority. The servant is convinced that the master's authority is not diminished by his absence. I mean, this is what sets him apart from the one-talent servant. Remember him? Let's look back at what the one-talent servant says to the master. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Well, what's he saying there? 
You know, he's really talking about authority. What right does the master have to show up after all these years and expect anything from the servants he left behind? Okay, from the one talent servant's perspective, he's just seen the master double his money with no effort on his part. Okay, and in his mind, that's not right. The master has exceeded his authority, and that's unjust. And I think Jesus includes this in the story to illustrate what we're going to be tempted to believe about him, the sense that God exceeds what is his right, right? That God has no business setting boundaries around anything, sex, marriage, money, whatever else. And it's easy to, to see this in the culture, right? But this parable isn't for the culture, it's for us, right? The disciples, the people who say we follow him, who say we serve him, we can slide into the same mentality of questioning whether God really has the authority to set boundaries for how we live. So what we do is we try to have these little carve-outs, you know, segments of our life that we try to tuck away from his authority uh, where we think there's like no extradition treaty with God, so he can't come in and, you know, enforce his boundaries on this area. And if we're not careful, if we're not open to direction and correction from other Christ followers, we'll start to see ourselves as somehow the exception, okay? Yeah, God says that, but I have peace about it. Yeah, God says that, but look at all these other areas of my life that I have given to him. This one is mine. I can keep it. And when we do that, <clears throat> we're, we're really saying the same thing as the one talent servant. Now, you, you can't reap here. You, you can't gather here. This part of my life is outside of your authority. But when you try to compartmentalize God like that, you always end up with a smaller life. That's why the master says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. You end up with less. And when I try to squirrel away something for myself outside of his authority, I'm actually losing out on the real reward. But God is calling us to think like the five-talent servant. It doesn't matter how long the master's gone. The talents still belong to him, and he's still in charge. And to the Christ follower who says, no carve-outs, everything is yours, everything is under your authority, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because it's faithfulness that is the currency of greatness in the kingdom of God. You know, maybe he'll bring an increase from my labor, uh, maybe he won't, I hope he does, but he gets to choose, that's up to him. But was I faithful? That's what he's looking at. Was I faithful with the assignment he gave me? Come on. Um, come on, notes here. All right. Now, that may seem like a raw deal to you, right? Like this servant devotes years of his life uh, to this master. And in a moment, he just hands it all over, right? He gets, there's no commission. There's no finder's fee. There's no bonus. It's 100% it's gone back to the master, everything he worked for. And in that moment, it looks like he's left with nothing, still just completely dependent. And honestly, I felt like this. I, I feel like this now. That if I really live this servant life that, that God is inviting me into, there's this gnawing feeling of risk. Yeah, but what if? Right? What, what if I do commit to his priorities, to accepting his authority, and he doesn't come through? And that's why God is offering a reward. 
The master doesn't leave the servant hanging. He doesn't leave him exposed like I am so often tempted that God is going to do with me. Instead, in return for his faithful service, the, the servant receives three rewards. And these are the same rewards that God offers to anyone who wants to faithfully serve him and follow him. And the first reward is honor. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, how is being called a servant an honor? Uh, we don't think of it that way. Well, turns out the highest honorific in scripture, the highest title that God bestows on the people who follow him is servant, right? Think about the heroes of the Bible, Moses, Joshua, David, Mary, Peter, you know, James, John, servants, okay? These people, they were prophets, they were kings, apostles, elders, the mother of God, but God says they're more than that. They're servants. My servant Moses, my servant Joshua. Even Jesus himself is honored with the name servant. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about him in Isaiah 53:10. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So this is the greatest act of love, the greatest victory in the history of the universe, Jesus Christ bearing our sins, making us right before God. And God looks at that and he says, my servant. And he offers that same honor to us to look at us and say, my servant. And the question I ask myself is, am I satisfied with that? Because I can't eat honor I can't use honor to fix my van's leaky transmission or put my kids through college with honor. So I'm tempted to look more at those material rewards. So am I satisfied with that? Is it real enough and tangible enough to grab my heart and motivate me into the servanthood that Jesus is inviting me into? Now, I didn't really grow up going to church, but when I was a senior in high school, my parents and I started attending the Broadway Church of Christ in Lubbock, Texas. And Broadway was a more traditional church. So think stained glass windows, uh, hymnals, and we took communion, you know, the Lord's Supper, every Sunday. And that meant that every week, someone had to coordinate all the ushers to walk up and down the aisle with the little crackers, and then walk up and down the aisle with the grape juice, because it wasn't combined, you know, back then. And then that person was Steve. And Steve was an honest-to-goodness cowboy. As, as a younger man, Steve had been a bull rider, like full-on professional bull rider. And as an older man, he actually ran a small cattle ranch outside of, outside of Lubbock. And every Sunday, Steve would drive in from his ranch into town. And before the service, he would sort of roam around kind of the lobby and the courtyard of the church looking for volunteers, trying to recruit eight to 10 people to handle these trays with the bread and the grape juice every Sunday. And if Steve figured out that you could do this job without like fumbling and spilling grape juice on people, which did happen, um, not naming names, um, then you were on his short list and he would track you down almost every Sunday. And when we started going to this church in the late 90s, Steve had already been doing this for nearly 20 years. And he kept doing it for another 20 until he passed away a few years ago. So that's 40 years every Sunday, the same job. And Steve never got paid, right? He never got a plaque. I don't think he ever even had a title. 
He was never like director of communion or anything. I honestly wonder how many times in 40 years anyone said thank you to Steve. In fact, I think what he probably heard the most was the opposite. No thank you. I did it last week, Steve. No thanks. I know I said that to him a few times. Um, but he kept on. You know, he, he was just a normal guy who knew he had an assignment. He wasn't just volunteering. He was serving right? And Steve never preached a sermon or, you know, sang on the worship team or even led a prayer up on the stage. Other people, people with titles would do that. They would get on stage and they would explain what the bread means and what the, the grape juice means. And they would lead people into prayerfully taking the Lord's Supper, which is so important. But those people, they relied on Steve because somebody had to get those things into people's hands. And that was Steve. <clears throat> And I called my, you know, my dad one day, and it just so happened that he had just left Steve's funeral. And he said it was standing room only. And this is how my dad described this old cowboy. He said, he was a pillar of the church, and when he died, he left a gap. And you know, honestly, when I go, I hope I leave a gap. I hope it takes y'all a few weeks to go, wait, Adam did that? Wait. <laughs> Oh, we've got to, and you'll find somebody else and things will move on. But I hope I leave a gap for a while. Because what greater honor is there than to know that for this short flicker of eternity, God looked at me and he said, I'm trusting you with an assignment. I'm giving you a role to play in advancing my kingdom and my glory. What honor can the world offer that compares to that? And the second reward that God offers is purpose. This is what he means when he says, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And it's tempting to look at that as sort of a, a system of personal gain, that if I'm faithful in little things, God will give me more. And there is truth to that. You know, generally as you're faithful in small assignments, God does bring an increase, right? Life works that way because that's how God wired reality. But we've all had situations where we were diligent and faithful, and it just didn't work out that way. You know, several years ago in my day job as an attorney, I represented a guy, a dear friend actually, who through decades of hard work had put away quite a bit of money for retirement. But he came down with esophageal cancer, and while he was in treatment and recovering, this investment manager guy swooped in and, and sold his wife on these really junky investments and managed to lose a huge chunk of their life savings. Um, you know, so we sued him, of course. Uh, that's what I do. And I spent nearly five years on this case. I mean, I really believed in it, really believed my clients had been wronged, and I worked harder than I ever had to prove it. But you know who didn't believe in it? The judge. The judge did not believe in it. Complete loss. And, and I know so many of y'all have had your version of that experience in your career or in your family, you know, where you were faithful in little and then nothing. Zero return on your investment. So I don't think that kind of personal gain or promotion is what Jesus is talking about here. Because notice he doesn't say, I will give you much. He says, I will set you over much. And what Jesus is saying here is similar to something that God says all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, right? God creates Adam, the first man, and the first thing God does with this man he created is set him over something. He gives Adam an assignment. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. 
So God is setting Adam over the garden. And the Hebrew word translated there is cultivate is albed. Okay, God's first assignment to mankind is to albed, to create and protect and nurture. Okay, that's what he created us for, to albed his creation. And remember how we talked about that the highest honor that God can bestow on you is to call you a servant? Well, guess what word the Old Testament uses for servant? Albed, the same word. That's what service is in the mind of God. It's not a demotion. It's cultivating, creating, protecting. God says, my albed, Moses, my albed, Joshua. Remember our Isaiah 53 verse about the servanthood of Jesus? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my albed, make many to be accounted righteous. So when God calls us to serve, he's not just asking us to volunteer. He's offering to restore us to our created purpose, to restore our original assignment as albeds. And when God offers to set you over much, that's a privilege, the greatest privilege, to partner with God in cultivating his creation. And the final reward is joy. Enter into the joy of your master. The reward for this servant's years of diligent and faithful service is an invitation to share and experience the very joy of God himself. And the best way I can think to describe that is that it's a relational reward. It's a deeper level of personal connection with God that is reserved for servants. So it's really the reward of more of God himself. So think of someone you know really well, okay? A spouse, sibling, best friend, someone who's been in your life for decades. If I were to ask you what that person thinks about something, would you have to call them and ask them? Probably not. You would just know, right? You know what they would say because you know them so well. I I think of my wife, Laura. If you ask me a question of what my wife, Laura, might think about something, I can tell you with near certainty what her answer would be, right? She's going to say, no, you know, she's going to love it. Nope, no way. She's not going to go for it because I've, you know, I've been in love with her for 17 years. So I, I, I know her character and her values. So there's like this little Laura voice in my head all the time. And I just know what she'll think about things. And that experience is just a glimpse into this relational reward that God is offering, this sense of closeness, of of understanding and union. You can have that with God. And Moses is a great example of this. You know, Moses was chosen by God to lead a few million Israelites out of slavery, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. And several times along the way, people opposed him. One time, his own brother and sister Uh, Aaron and Miriam opposed him. And uh, they challenged whether Moses was really the only person uh, who could speak to the Israelites on behalf of God. And listen to how God rebukes them. He says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Now, I want to pause there and point out that Moses is a prophet one of the greatest prophets. It was a tremendous privilege to be a prophet, to receive insight directly from God and speak on God's behalf to the people. Yet there is something deeper to Moses' relationship with God. Let's continue. Not so with my servant, my Albed, Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles, 
and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So Moses was more than a prophet. He was a servant. Uh, because he was a servant, he experienced this deeper knowledge of God, of understanding of God. Of, uh, there's a different passage in Exodus that says he was a friend of God. They, they communicated like friends. And because of the grace of Christ in reconciling us to God, we can have everything that Moses had. So you see, God offers to rescue and save everyone. I mean, that's why three days after Jesus tells this story, he, he is going to offer up his own life to carve out that path for you to be reconciled with God, to be counted as righteous before God. That's what we call salvation. And it's open to everyone, everywhere, no conditions, come as you are. But what if you want to go deeper? What if it's not enough for you to be saved. You want to know and understand the God who saved you. What if it's not enough to just know that Christ has secured your place in heaven in the next life? You want to, you want to, you want to have a taste of heaven in this life, right? That's what the joy of the master is. And this may, this, I know this sounds kind of abstract, but I want to be as practical about this as possible. This is the deepening of your relationship with God into true friendship. And as that friendship deepens, you begin to actually feel the sustaining and guiding power of God in your life as you understand him and understand what he wants from you, as that, that voice of his starts to live in your head. And it's an offer of true, sustaining, transcending joy that's reserved for servants. And so far, I haven't said much about the servant with the two talents. He's sort of the overlooked middle child of the story. And I suspect everyone in this room has felt like the two-talent servant at some point, right? You're doing the best you can with your two talents, watching the people above you with more status, more success, uh, more resources. But he's in this story for a reason. And that reason is God wants you to know that he gets the same reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verbatim, the same reward, the same honor, the same purpose, the same joy. Because the Lord doesn't reward the assignment. He rewards the faithfulness. So I want to wrap up this week by inviting you to volunteer on a team, if you're not already. Not for us, right? Not for Seabreeze, not because we need the manpower, but for you, for your own soul. If you want to be in Albed, you have to start somewhere, so let us know. And for those of you who are already serving somewhere, enjoy your reward, right? Because what a day it will be when we finally see Christ face to face and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the, the privilege of your word, that through your word we can see this great offer of reward that you're holding out to us. And everything inside of us and everything in the world says that service is a demotion, that service is something just to be minimized, but you call us to more. You call us into fellowship with you and to serve you 
to return to our created purpose, what you originally created mankind for, to cultivate what you have created and joined you in your work. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the ultimate servant who paid the ultimate price to obey you and to serve us. Thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.